and welcome back to Retronym. Unfortunately, this is not the Spider-Man episode you've been looking for. This is instead another mini-episode. This time, Manny and I are focusing on the new Charlize Theron action spy thriller, Atomic Blonde. Now, this may surprise some of you, but Atomic Blonde was actually a comic book before it was even imagined to be a movie or a movie script. So we're going to go into the comic book and then we're going to go into the movie and we're going to sort of see how those two interact. And one of the cool things about this mini episode is that I read the comic book before seeing the movie and Mandy saw the movie before she read the comic book. And it's really interesting to see how our reactions differed because of how we consumed this story in different ways initially and how that sort of was represented in the way that we thought about this movie and the way that we took stock of everything that was happening in this movie. So anyway, I'm going to start you off and tell you a little bit about The Coldest City, which is the original graphic novel that Atomic Blonde was based on. The Coldest City is a pretty interesting comic book. It's set in Berlin in 1989 when there's still a West Berlin and an East Berlin, so this Berlin wall is up. And it's a spy thriller, so it's not really very action-oriented, about the spy named Laurie Broughton and how she needs to retrieve a list from some other spy. It's not super clear, but it takes place in this very, very tumultuous time and it's very, very different than what you might expect. It's very hard-boiled, it's very cut and dry, and it's very, very well written, I think. A little bit more about like the people who created it. It's written by Anthony Johnson, who's an award-winning writer. He's also written for Daredevil, Wasteland, and a few others, and he's also written for video games like Dead Space. Sam Hart is the artist. He also worked on titles like Judge Dredd, Starship Troopers, and they're just a really interesting team because Sam Hart's work is very, very stark and it can be sometimes a little hard to follow, but it's very, very stylized and intentional. The Coldest City was released in 2012 by Oni Press and it's set at the very end of this 1989 Cold War. And the plot jumps back and forth in time between Lorraine giving sort of an exit interview at the end of her mission and the mission itself. So it's a very interesting contrast between what she says and then what she does and what she knows and what she says she knows. And it all sort of comes out at the same time and it's really, really a fascinating character study. It really, it really shows how hard and deceptive and intriguing the Cold War politics really were because you have to deal with double agents, you have to deal with Soviets, you have to deal with corrupt cops, and it's just sort of all comes together with this list of agents who are working in Berlin and whether or not she has it or she knows who has it or where it is or whose hands it's fallen into. So the whole thing is very much a thriller. It's not really a, like you would think when you say spy and you think James Bond. So in keeping with our format, we do want to discuss a couple of very specific topics. Mandy, what are those? So we're not going to go crazy with these, especially since on the whole, the, the graphic novel and the movie ended up being pretty different. So we're just going to look at the aesthetic, the feeling of history, Lorraine herself, and then the big question, was it any good? We have some differing opinions. We do. 
So, also an interesting thing about this time is that Linda read the graphic novel before seeing the movie. But I saw the movie, and then I read the graphic novel afterwards. So that might account for some of the different ways that we look at some of these things. Yeah, I think it definitely affected the way that I viewed the movie, and I'm pretty sure that it affected how you read the comic book. Yeah, I felt like I knew what was going on in the comic a little bit better. Yeah, it was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go into the aesthetic of the comic book. It was black and white. It's very, very... It almost feels like a newspaper has been scanned over and over in order to create this look. It's very stark, very minimal, and almost hard to follow. Yeah, one of the things, I was very surprised to open the graphic novel, and I think I would have been, um, even if I'd read the, the graphic novel first, because I was expecting something that at least had something akin to the movie posters and the trailer, which we both saw first before encountering the coldest city so coming across these very sharp jagged lines and very unfinished people and Lorraine wasn't even blonde so I was I was pretty surprised that wasn't the style expected and my copy of the coldest city had the movie poster even as the cover so basically like you've got you've got this image and you open it up and you're like oh no I think I've got the wrong cover on this what what am I reading so the the aesthetic of the comic was actually a huge surprise for me because of the buzz of the movie right The, the comic book is very dark it's very severe and Lorraine does not look sexy no one really has any inherent like beauty to them Honestly, and the only way I could tell people apart was their facial hair. Even their facial hair got a little dicey at times. Yeah, I mean, they were all sort of rocking that, like, late 80s mustache that was very common among British men at that time. Yes, and that, that I suppose it is historically accurate, but it made it really hard to... Uh, to tell people apart. <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean, I will admit, I had to back read a couple pages every now and then. I'm just like, what's happening? Like, am I sure that this is actually, like, still David? Am I still following him? It was it was a little bizarre. But, I mean, I think for the story that they were trying to tell, which is a very cut and dry, very intense, very dark spy story that involves betrayal and murder and... Corruption. I think that the aesthetic really fit what they were trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't glamorized. None of it was glamorized. The darkness and starkness that you mentioned did fit in a more historical context, I thought. This is not something that's big and neon. Right. This is something that was, it was easier to believe maybe as as telling a story that would have happened then. Right. And I think that that sort of fits into our next theme, which is history. Just the fact that the way that the media portrayed these characters fit very well, I think, into the timeline that they were trying to portray. You know, there was a lot of jagged shapes. There was a lot of shadows. There was the Berlin Wall. There was a lot of industrial buildings. There was a lot of very sharp, angular cars going by. It was all very much in line with the whole, like, German, Soviet, brutalist look that was going on then 
My problem with that is that even when they were on the west side of the wall, I didn't feel like it was the rest of Germany. I felt that everything had this kind of Soviet feel to it. And without knowing that it was happening in 1989, I felt like there wasn't actually a lot of clues to the actual time period, even though it did have a certain realism to it and in the way the characters looked and the shapes giving us that end of the Cold War feeling. I found that the the clothing and hairstyles, there wasn't really very much that felt like the 80s. I mean, I'm not even talking about that like stereotypical big hair 80s. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time. To me, it looked like the 50s, like the actual way that the people looked and the clothes looked. I would have thought it was earlier in the Cold War. Yeah, I think part of that has to do with the fact that they were focusing on a plot that was very much embedded in its time rather than focusing on character design or clothing. You know, it, it really, like, it was very secondary. This this comic book was much more focused on the story it wanted to tell rather than the look it was going for, which I think was a pretty interesting divergence from a lot of comic books that are out there. I agree with that, but I also thought that it was a weakness because that time in history, in Germany, there was so much going on. There was such a youth culture and there was such a, this this feeling of the uprise and the feel of the difference between the East and the West. And that I thought was missing. I didn't think that was missing. Jumping right into the main character, why don't we talk about Lorraine for a little bit? Why don't you tell me about your first impressions and what you thought of her as a character in this massive plot and spy ring. Well, I think it's really interesting because the way the narrative is set up, she is our connection to the current interview with superiors at MI6 and the action back in Berlin. She really, at the point that the comic is happening, she's the only character that we see being involved in both situations. She's our conduit into the secret underworld that she is thrown into. So when she goes in, she's going in there to root out corruption that MI6 is already feeling coming out of Berlin, which I thought was was different from the setup for the movie where she kind of tossed in and, and doesn't know what's going in, even though she's ostensibly going in after this list that could expose all the agents that are in Berlin. She's going in already mistrusting her fellow agents that are there. Obviously, someone is not playing nice. And Lorraine is a very straight-laced character in the comic. She doesn't smile. She doesn't really have any facial expression whatsoever. Her phrases are very short. Her word choice is very simple. She's not a simple character, and we at no point feel that she's not up to the task. She's extremely capable, but she's not friendly. She's not a fun, as you said, talking about a James Bond-like character. She doesn't have any of that, or really none of the characters do. But particularly since she is, as I said, our entryway into this world, we don't really get a lot of a feel for her. Right. I thought. No, I think you're right, because it it's very stark. It's very, she sees things one way, and everyone else sees things another way. I mean, 
it's kind of ironic to say that it's very black and white, but is and she might like spin a gray in between story but we see both sides from the point of view of what she's telling her her superior officers and what actually happened so we don't get a filtered view the same way that her superior officers do which is very very interesting and very clever in the way that they presented that to us because we see in those moments we really see a lot of Lorraine's character coming through it might not be in facial expressions or in what she says or who she talks to, but her character comes out in the way that she speaks to her superiors and in the decisions that she makes and in even the people she chooses to associate with and trust within the book. Yep, I'd say that one of the characterization aspects that we see the most, actually, is you talked about her decision. Her decisiveness, really, I would say, is the hallmark of her character. She does not second guess herself. Even if she's been caught unaware or suddenly has to change direction, there is no second guessing. She does not feel badly about her decisions. She just goes forward. She really is is an ever onward character. Which ties into the fact that she is a (gasps) double agent. Linda, that's a spoiler. It's a spoiler, but our show is all about spoilers. It's true. Everything is always a spoiler. So if you're if you're listening and you just got surprised, please know that Retronym is never a spoiler-free zone. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she is she is our, she is the devil Asian. She is the bad guy, and in this case, it is definitely the bad gay guy guy gay. Nice, Mandy. The bad guy. <laughs> I was thinking the movie. Um. Where, and it's presented because it is this cold where the Soviets are the bad guys. Mm, they are. It's, it's always so, the bad guys. So, again, horribly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your pun. It is black and white. Even though the story itself, we have other characters with more ambiguous roles and ambiguous morality. We never question that, yo, it's good that the wall is coming down. It's good for the people the actual people of Berlin. It's a better situation for the world. But this question of for the agents, for the spies, for the people who have built their lives around that wall and around that complicated relationship between East and West, right there, people who sneaking back and forth and the people who are taking bribes, they've built up their own kind of life based on the fact that there is this conflict. Which goes into the history. We have the benefit of knowing that the Soviets are on the wrong side of this issue in history. And and when we're in this book, we carry that understanding with us, which makes us feel like we know what's going to happen because we know what should happen. And so when Lorraine sort of reveals herself to be this double agent, it's kind of It's very startling because we don't expect our main character to go through the entire novel with very little indication that she's a fascist. And then all of a sudden, oh wait, she's a double agent and supports Stalin and the KGB. And it's just, it's, it really is a twist in the, in the graphic novel. It's much more of a twist than in the in the movie. It's definitely revealed in a much more understanding way. Yep, I thought that that was actually fantastic because it is literally the second to last page that she gets off that flight and, well, there's the bad guy. Um, I thought that that was 
really, really unique, as you said, her character, because she is so decisive and her loyalty is never in question to either her superiors or to us as the reader. We never doubt that she's actually working for MI6. So I thought that that was really, really great, especially since, horrible as this sounds, we don't expect that from a female character. And honestly, we rarely expect that from a male character either. But yeah, I agree. The fact that her gender definitely played into our stereotypes and our expectations of what she was going to do made it a very good plot twist. And I think that also leads into our next topic is, or not topic, but our next sort of idea when it comes to Lorraine is like, does gender matter? And why why was the fact that she was a woman important, specifically in the context of this graphic novel? Coming to the graphic novel after, unlike you, I had a certain expectation from seeing the movie. And so in the graphic novel, I didn't expect as much to have some of these characters' misogynist tendencies being so blatant and upfront. And really, they probably should be. It was 1989, which it wasn't that long ago. But you definitely, especially if you have other agents who have been in Berlin for a long time, as I said, they built their lives around this Cold War conflict. They've been there for 20 years. So their ideas are going to tend to be antiquated socially as well. So seeing a young woman come in, be very capable, be the authority that was sent by the higher-ups at MI6. You definitely have David Percival, who is the current head of the operations in Berlin, just flat out saying, you know, like right away, like, oh, they sent a woman, you know. Yeah, they're just, they they take a very, oh, little missy attitude towards her, which I think may not have helped with her characterization, but it definitely helped with making her more believable as a double agent at the very end, because I never thought about it, but I'm like, of course she's a double agent. Like, she's playing all of these men who think that, like, she can't play the game. They're basically all treating her like a pawn when she's secretly a queen. It's pretty great just because I think that it definitely in the context of this novel allowed her to move into spaces and act in ways that were not typical of women and not typical of what people expected from her as a character and a spy. So I think it really added to the story more better than it added to the story of the movie. I agree. In the in the graphic novel The image that she portrayed was really that 80s businesswoman (laughs) in terms of her silhouette and in terms of the way that she was competing with the male characters or trying to break into their world. It was kind of the feeling uh, that we got is that, yes, she's super confident because, of course, she knows what she's doing, but she's not she's not playing. It almost didn't seem like she was playing a game she's just there to get the work yeah done. she just knows what she's doing she knows what she's there to accomplish and she's very straightforward about it and again i think that all of that plays into the fact that when she, she is finally revealed as a secret agent it comes as a very very interesting surprise and a twist like i know that you were affected by the movie but when i first read this novel i was just like what what do you mean she's <laughs> she's a double agent? Like I didn't I had to reread the novel because the twist was very it wasn't easily predictable. It wasn't really seen very early on and it really it made a lot of sense afterwards 
Like, it was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. It was just, it was really a very, very cool experience. So I'm really glad that I read the graphic novel first because I wasn't spoiled in the movie the way that I know Mandy's roommate was not pleased by the twist at all. She said that she could predict it from a mile away. And I was like, well, I guess so. Because I mean, of course I knew, but I don't know. I loved it. I really thought it was well done. I, I agree. Because the, the way the, the narrative followed in the graphic novel, it really didn't place those landmines that films tend to do because they really try to give you that foreshadowing. The graphic novel didn't really play that game at all. Yeah, I think the biggest difference in between the movie and the graphic novel, and we'll get more in depth with this, was just sort of how much more action there was and how much more uh, personal dialogue there was in between Percival and Lorraine. Yeah, so talking about her relationships, because like you said, there's not a lot of interpersonal friendships and things that are built. Even working relationships is, is kind of a little strange to watch her with her authority figures. She doesn't disrespect them in the interview, but she definitely gives her own point of view. She doesn't back down. Even at the end when she's told basically by uh, one of her interviewers that her hypothesis, which we know obviously she made up because she totally framed half these people, but that her hypothesis is wrong. So she's just, she's been there. She's seen all this. She gives what she believes happened and he basically just sits there while while she sits there silently smoking a cigarette and just is like that's cute but actually this is what happens and he gives this like ridiculous theory that isn't true either right they're they're definitely trying to play each other yeah but she doesn't and she doesn't she doesn't talk back she just sits there and she's like like where like okay I, I need receipts, but sure, like, we'll go with, like, whatever makes you sleep better at night. I'm not the one who compromised an entire office in the Berlin sector when really she she was. And she has an extremely antagonistic relationship with David Percival, but primarily on his side. Yeah, she, he's definitely on, he's definitely the one who is expressing anger and frustration towards her. And she's just, she really is there. Again, 80s businesswoman, she's there to do a job. And that's it. Yep. And he doesn't respect that. And, and he's that old school man who is just trying to live his life in a very strange situation. In contrast to her relationship with David Percival was her much more intimate and much more friendly relationship with Pierre. At least... That's how it seemed. Yep, Pierre is the French agent, and he's presented as an oddly stereotypical French man. He's there with the ma chérie, and he's got his cafe, and he kisses her hand. Uh, it's 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 kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, gets her pastries at one we point. He gets her pastries, and again, it, it's it's a relationship built. It seems to me entirely from his side. She doesn't really give a lot emotionally back. She, they do sleep um, together, which I think is more for like... That's not emotional. That's not no, emotional. No, no, I'm just saying it's it's much more like for convenience and it does show like some degree of intimacy and trust. Maybe not a lot considering their positions, 
but a little bit like and it's kind of interesting that they they treated that with such sterility Mm-hmm. yeah it's not a romance it's not a romance and at the end when when we are learning of her double agency we find that pierre had evidence of her wrongdoings so how much of her relationship you know he's trying to stick it to her she's trying to stick it to him so not genuine emotion not a genuine relationship um but maybe a little bit more of a guard down or a seeming guard down than she presents to to percival i think that the only warmth and happiness we see actually is when she's reunited with bremovich her soviet connection <laughs> she seems pretty chuffed to see him again that's like she's just like yay and you're like wow okay Back in the motherland, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so her relationships were very, very interesting. And we've sort of dissected the plot in interesting ways. And we've talked about the art as well. And I think that we've come to the point where we need to decide, was it a good graphic novel? And did we like it? Okay. I'm going to be honest. I thought that it was... Hello. Oh my god. <laughs> it was really hard. <laughs> it was really, really hard for me to look. I mean, part of it because I, I'm going to be honest, I couldn't tell the difference between half of the characters. It was characters. hard. Panel to panel. My bad. I, I had a really hard time telling who was who, and that really pulled me out of the narrative yeah. several times. When I wasn't going back to figure out the plot twist, I was going back just to figure out who was right. talking. I, I can definitely see how that would affect someone's how someone liked it. I mean, I had the same trouble. I, I'll admit, I totally just, I was like, okay, well, he has this mustache and this guy has glasses <laughs> and that's how I'm going to differentiate them. Yeah, I don't think it was ugly. I think it was a choice. <laughs> it, it might not have been like the best choice or the right choice, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it ugly. But I think that despite those sort of stylistic differences and stylistic choices that were made um i think it was really reflective of the feel of the plot and i think that the plot was good i thought the characterization was good i thought the twist at the end was surprising for me and it also made sense it wasn't just like that's not a plot twist that's a lie like i didn't feel like i had been lied to i felt like i had read a plot twist it was just it was very very well done and i think at the end of the day i would recommend it especially to people who enjoy spy thrillers and sort of a more hard-boiled version of James Bond or The Man from Uncle, something that's a little less campy. This comic book is not campy at all. It's just, that's not what this is about. So yeah, I would say I liked it and I would recommend it. I also would recommend it. I thought it was a really good read. I thought that the the plot was very good. And as you pointed out, it was it was different from a lot of the spy presentations that we tend to get in a more visual media. I think that this was more like the story that you'd get in a spy novel. Generally, when we see a movie or you see a comic book, it tends to be flashier. So that was a very interesting thing for me was to see how to keep something that didn't have as much action interesting on the page. That was good for me. So I would also, I would also recommend it with a warning Keep track of everyone's mustaches. <laughs> facial hair tracker. <laughs> yeah. Keep track of the facial hair if you want to know what's going on. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, overall a good a good read, but 
when it comes to the movie, it's a very different story. It definitely was. And uh, I came to the movie first, so that was what I was expecting. For a little bit of movie background, this was announced initially in 2015, and it was actually a passion project for Charlize Theron, who played Lorraine in the movie. She'd seen the graphic novel five years previously, and I, when I was researching, I was I researched the, the graphic novel, and I researched the movie, and I'm doing some very simple math, and I was really confused. She actually came across the graphic, it was given, the graphic novel was given to her before it had been published. So her interest in it actually preceded publication, and she was already willing to go with it. Something about it really grabbed her. I think part of it was the female spy was a kind of character that attracted her. And her interest in John Wick led her to approach David Leach to direct. And then subsequently, James McAvoy and John Goodman were announced on playing roles. James McAvoy playing a very different take on David Percival, mustachio number one in the graphic novel. Uh, definitely a, a more attractive, a younger, a more frantic type of character. Sexier. Much, much sexier. The whole movie was sexier. So originally the movie was called by the title of the graphic novel, The Coldest City. But in February 2017, they released the poster and the title Atomic Blonde was on there with this platinum and pleather Lorraine uh, promising a sexier, violent sort of take on Cold War espionage, separating it a little bit from that hard-boiled spy thriller, dark underground thing that the graphic novel had going on. So looking at the same topics that we looked at in the graphic novel, I think that the first thing we have to look at in this movie is aesthetic, which I would argue is most of what the movie was. Yeah, most, you would go see that movie purely for some of the outfits. Like, they're really, yeah, I don't know quite how to, how to say it. Like, she was definitely not an 80s businesswoman. No, there may have been some shoulder pads at one Maybe. point, but other than that, she, there was a definite look that was created for this movie. There was a definite, again, you said that the style of the graphic novel was a choice. Definitely the style of the movie was a choice. There was a lot of shiny. There was a lot of neon. All I could think of was the artwork of Patrick Nagel in the 80s. That is, that's what I saw. Like constantly, the, the poses and the lighting in her hotel room, the, the symmetry of things, the shapes of things. So I can't recall who that is because you're so much more cultured than I am. <laughs> but I'll look him up later, I guess. Okay. Okay. But yeah, like Mandy was saying, there was a lot of neon happening, a lot of very bright lighting. It They strayed away from... It was really interesting because in Lorraine's interview, it was very, very stark, black and white, some grays, which very much reflected the tone of the novel, which is really interesting when you think about England being this very straight-laced, buttoned-up, restrained society, as opposed to what Berlin was and what Berlin was actually experiencing and going through, which was the graffiti on the Berlin Wall and the, the punk movement that was happening and people were dyeing their hair and skateboarding and being much more anti-fascist and anti-socialist and much more punk. There was plaid and these bright colors and it was definitely very apparent 
in this film that they were trying to sort of establish kind of a vague feeling of lawlessness in Berlin. And they did that through bright colors and bright imagery and the costuming in general. I would totally agree that that post-punk disaffected youth was also reflected in Percival's outfits and youthening his character. We don't have a character who's been there for 20 years and has had the time to grow the facial hair. He, It's impossible that he's been there that long. And we see him more akin to, you know, younger people who are sneaking in to listen to Western music and... Buy jeans. Buy jeans, you know, and, and he's the supplier of culture as much as information. And he, he has a certain franticness to him his own clothes are are worn but very eclectic kind of representative of this conflict as opposed to the sort of worn uniforms that we see on the soviet officers showing this end of an era lorraine on the other hand everything that she wears looks brand spanking new she is definitely a a very sharp fresh new era kind of marching in there, just as decisive, but with a very, very different look than the almost dowdy Lorraine that we're presented with in the graphic novel. Right, and I think that I want to talk about the aesthetic of Delphine, who took the place of Pierre uh, from the graphic novel, who is Lorraine's French lover. They definitely made her aesthetic very much like a pop, not a pop punk, because that's not really a thing then, but definitely like a soft punk princess kind of look with choppy bangs and very, very layered clothing, sort of pre-grunge almost. But she was really interesting, I thought. I thought that she was lovely and beautiful, and I also thought the way she, that she acted very much fed into the aesthetic as well. Just the fact that there was a lesbian relationship at the core of this film, or not at the core, but sort of on the periphery of this film, and that was really the vulnerability in Lorraine that was really interesting to me because of course that vulnerability was never really explored in the comic book but yeah the aesthetic was just much more bright and exciting and again it was most of the content of this movie was sort of dedicated to how badass can we make Lorraine look while also kicking people's faces in it's true. And carrying on into history, visually, I found it was much easier to feel the 80s. You know, the, the wall was so much more present than in the tight panels of the comic. Uh, the protests, seeing motion on the TV rather than just, you know, a bubble that gives us some German language. The music was a huge part of the era and... Uh, the director, David Leach, actually believed that getting the perfect music was one of the ways that the stuffy Cold War spy movie could be reinvented. Uh, the movie music was a blend of actual 80s music and then covers as well to kind of give a different feel to things. And initially, the one of the big concerns uh, getting this movie with the producers, they were concerned that they weren't going to be able to get the rights to the songs that he wanted. He was very specific about wanting to get that history, feeling that the music was important to the movie as it was important to the actual era. And I think the movie did a really great job. Like, I think that the music in this film was 
perfectly chosen. I think that Leach did a great job. I think it really added to the aesthetic in a way that was both emotionally moving and very, very appropriate for the story that was being told. It was really cool, I think. Yep, so... Lorraine. Lorraine. Again, she's the heart, she's the conduit, she's the poster. We'd like to say she's the heart, but she didn't seem to have one. No, not so much. So in terms of characterization, did you feel that she was much different than she was in the graphic novel? I wouldn't say so. I think that in the graphic novel, she's very much the same. She's very curt. She's short. She's to the point. She's direct. She's there to do a job. I don't think that they changed her much. And I think that that might have been a detriment in this film as opposed to in the graphic novel where I thought it was much more of an asset, especially since she wasn't really up against the same sort of misogyny or at least not the same sort of obvious misogyny as she was in the comic book. You know, the film the film definitely underplayed it. They sort of wanted to make David, again, a sexy character. They wanted to make Bremovich kind of just this mean old thug without giving him a lot of depth. Like, they didn't really want to add that in. And I think that if they had, it might have made Lorraine feel more sympathetic. I agree. Maybe the, the twist in the in the graphic novel maybe is more of a surprise because she's such a straight shooter. Whereas watching her so cold and emotionless on screen made you think, well, I have some doubts about this character. This character who is obviously trying to exude sexiness but is very withdrawn at the same time. Because I would say that that's one of the big differences is we see her very aware of a sensuality that she has, a powerful, violent sensuality that she has that was pretty absent in the graphic novel. Yeah, and I mean, I think that even though she is a very beautiful woman and she did have this very, very distinct look that was sort of exposing her body and exposing herself to the view and the gaze of other people, I never distinctly had the feeling that she was sexy. Like, I never thought that she was a sexy character, you know? I think that she might have been, she's like, as a, as a human being, she's beautiful, but I never got the feeling that she was like sexy or sexualized or like in any way a, a portrayal of a ideal for her gender, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. I think at times we saw when she was very aware of her looks, of her beauty, of the possibility of presenting herself as a sexual object to her own ends. I mean, we'd expect that from a spy. James Bond cozies up to women all the time and is like, this tuxedo is pretty hot. Want to give me information about your evil mafia lover? She just did the same thing in Lame. True. I think that there were, there were a lot of scenes where she was naked or almost naked, but we really focused on the power of her body and sort of the way that she controlled her body and the way that she controlled other people. I don't really think that she was ever, again, I, this might just be a personal thing, but I never saw her as a sexy character. And I think a lot of that comes from the opening shots where we see her in this ice bath, just covered in bruises and scrapes and like battle wounds. And I'm just like, this is a machine. This is a body meant for a certain purpose, and that purpose is not to be sexy. I can agree with that. Do you think, then, that her gender mattered? Honestly, I didn't feel like I was watching a woman on screen. 
So I don't think it did. I think that there were a lot of her, I think a lot of her outfits were obviously very feminine. She was in mod style dresses. She was in high heels in some point, at some point. It was really interesting to watch this film where I really did not think that she was any less capable because she was a woman. I didn't think that she would be characterized by her female woman-ness. I didn't think that she would be. And it was really interesting because the misogyny, like we've mentioned, it really was not there or not apparent on screen as much as it was very, very obvious in the comic book. So I think it was really, really interesting because at, at this point in time, it's very hard to, to say that gender doesn't matter. But I think that one of the things that was really interesting about this film is that I never thought she was at a disadvantage or that her gender would be used against her or that her gender even mattered for her purpose as a character and as a spy. There was only one time I thought in the movie that we had another character really remark on her gender, aside from Bremovich flirting at the cafe flirting. club, Ooh. wherever that was. But... um. Percival, toward the end, when the attempt to get, um... Gascoigne? I forgot his name. The Stasi officer. No, the Stasi officer who has the list, who has memorized this list, um, trying to get him out and the disaster that ensues. When Percival finds out, he does make a disparaging comment, sort of a, you know, of course a woman is going to screw it up. Speaking of Percival and his interactions with Lorraine, there were a lot of really interesting moments. He was definitely a much flashier character than in the comic books. He was uh, much sexier, much more of a corrupt man of the people in a way, which was very interesting. I thought that as far as developing an actual character for David Percival, they did a very, very good job where they might not have done such a good job making us feel like we knew who Lorraine was. I think that his motivations were a little muddy, but what did you think about Percival and how he interacted with Lorraine and how he sort of worked to preserve his place in the plot and in Berlin? As we said, before Lorraine even goes in, her superiors kind of plant that seed of, we don't really trust him. We think that there's something going on with him. And so... You kind of go in really anticipating him as the corrupt one. He was a more nuanced and less obvious character for her to interact with in the movie. Several times you could kind of, you know, you're watching and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's the one behind all of this. And then something else would happen and you're like, oh, maybe not. Maybe not. His motivations were less upfront. It was kind of hard to get his view of Lorraine, of other characters. His position is the only thing I think that we could get a really good feel for. You know, his his one of his last lines is him just screaming and he's so close to the camera. So we really get that that visceral emotion from him where he just says, I love Berlin. He loves this life, even though it's a very strange, scraped together existence that he's made for himself, kind of alienated from his own mother country. He loves this place. I don't think any other characters express anything like that. No, he was really, really unique. And I think that the movie did a great job creating him 
especially considering the source material that they had. And I think that he overall was a much more engaging character than Lorraine. And I think that that might have been to the detriment of the movie. Yeah, because it, it, it made him more interesting to watch. I mean, she was great in action scene. Who doesn't want to watch Charlize just mess some dudes up? But when it came to actual characterization, I was very motivated to watch Percival. I was much more interested in learning what he was up to, what he was doing, what his connection to East Berlin and West Berlin was. Lorraine, we didn't really get that. There were some hints that she had had a relationship with James Gascoigne, the agent who was killed initially, who had this magical list. In the comic, they're never together. When she says that she only knew him well enough for a hello, the graphic novel doesn't give us any reason to disbelieve that. The movie gave us maybe there was some kind of deeper relationship. Maybe. Was she using him? Was he using her? That becomes a more nuanced relationship. And we never find the truth. We never figure out whether or not like he was protecting her or she was protecting him or if they were in on it together. Like we just don't know. No. And and that's and some of that is okay. Some of that is okay to talk about like a spy novel where not all the the ends are neatly tied off. Uh, particularly if you have a character whose motivations remain unclear, even at the very end. Uh, here comes your big spoiler. Lorraine <gasps> in Atomic oh Blonde. She is no double agent. What? She is actually a triple agent. No! Lorraine comes out of this as the good guy. Don't worry, she's working with the CIA. So... Again, that makes her her relationships with other characters even muddier when you're trying to sort out then when you look back through the movie and you're like, okay, well, if she's CIA, yeah, what does that mean with her relationship to Percival and the fact that she took him out and, and pinned a lot of things on him if she's not actually Soviet? Why was she doing that for the Americans? It was... A twist, obviously, I never saw coming because I was just like, what? I thought she was... But this is... I'm sorry, I read the wrong thing, obviously. Where's where the actual comic book that this was adapted from? Because I don't <laughs> think it was the comic book I read. Yeah, I, I mean, that was very, very startling for me. I think possibly bordering on unnecessary, considering the, the sort of twists and turns and backstabbing that like occurred throughout the movie that was not quite as not quite nuanced, but definitely a little bit more subtle than her showing up on a plane with an American accent. What the what? It was just wild. I don't. Yeah, I was not super pleased with that. I could have done without it, I think. <laughs> one of the biggest relationships and one of the biggest changes from the graphic novel was her lesbian relationship with the French spy switched, as Linda said, from Pierre to Delphine, who is given to us as sort of a, I would say, a new romantic. If you're going to look at 80s nomenclature, she's kind of a new romantic. And an agent who we've learned this is her first mission. So we have a more naive agent. And really, maybe the only time that we see Lorraine having a little bit more of a heart Um Pierre's death in the graphic novel didn't seem to elicit more than a little, oh shit, someone's here, 
Delphine's death in the uh, in the movie seemed to genuinely bother her, genuinely bother her. And this this change of the character's gender was a distinct choice on the part of the director working with Charlize to separate the film from others in the genre. In this case, the director insisted that the relationship was not meant to be viewed as provocative. This was made to show you hidden things about the emotional life of Lorraine. I thought it was well done. There are some sexy scenes, but it doesn't last very long. It's definitely not something that is focused on. And the conversations that they have afterwards are much more important and much, much more developmental as far as the plot goes, as far as like their characterization goes. I mean, there are two attractive women rolling around on bed, on a bed. It's, it's cute. I'll get over it. Maybe. But at the end of the day, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't about the fact that there were two women having, having sex. It was about these sort of two spies finding solace in one another, and one of them's scared, and one of them's a triple agent. That's how you build a lasting relationship until someone gets right. Home. Yeah, and they did follow the comic book a little bit where uh, Pierre had incriminating evidence against Lorraine. This time it was Delphine who had incriminating evidence against Percival. So it was an interesting mix where it really threw Percival again into this role of the bad guy and the antagonist, where in the comic book it was distinctly Bremovich and the Russians. So it, it muddied the waters, just it just continued to make things hard to see and hard to understand. So let's break it down to our final question. Was it good? I think that aesthetically, it was a huge win. I love to look at it. I loved the music choices. I thought that the um, the covers were really great. I liked that black and white aesthetic that was much sharper than the graphic novels, kind of. We talk about it being stark, but it wasn't sharp. You know, it wasn't that clear, crisp lines that were given to us. I liked that against uh, the backdrop of the graffiti on the wall. It was such a distinctive style, and the cast was fantastic. 300% from everyone, um, giving nuances to their characters, even when they're, they didn't have lines to support them, or even when they definitely didn't have narrative to support them. I thought that the plot was a mess. It really was a mess. Um, while the comic may have been a little hard to follow, the movie had no substance because it was so interested in being like, oh, we faked you out. Oh, we faked you out again. It didn't do it for me. It just, uh, plot wise, I just, it was so, it was, it just was a disaster. It was hard to follow. It was really, really messy. I mean, obviously I watched the movie first, so I saw her being CIA top gun. And then I read the graphic novel where actually, ho ho, surprise, she's a Soviet sympathizer. Um, I don't think I needed her to be the super good guy. Like, I think that that was actually a, to the detriment of the film. As you pointed out earlier, it was great in the comic that she's the double agent. She's, she just steps out with that big smile and is like, oh, comrade, uh, triple agent just, wow. You know, that's a bit of shark jumping. Yeah, it was definitely a stretch. I thought it was a, an unnecessary stretch. It was, yeah, it was wild. I didn't, again, I didn't think I added to the plot. Um, honestly, I didn't mind the plot as much. 
I basically this the plot of this movie was a combination of both the coldest city which is the original comic book and also the prequel comic book which is the coldest winter which follows a david percival escapade in berlin pre-lorraine so this movie sort of mashed both of those books together and tried to come up with a new plot and it i could follow it pretty well but i agree it was muddy I was so surprised by the aesthetic of it. Like I was so surprised by the colors and the bright music and the fact, and I was so confused by the trailer. I really was because I was like watching it and I'm like, who is James McAvoy even playing in this film? Like I have no idea who his character is. I was looking for the mustache. So then it, it was revealed he was David. I was like, what? It was just like the wild, I think that was a bigger plot twist for me than like the triple agent nonsense. Having nothing to do with the plot. Right. Exactly, like he's David. But yeah, I didn't mind the plot as much. Again, because I thought I had, I already had that structure to go with it, which I think might have been, again, because I had read the comic book and I was able to follow the movie easier, I thought that the plot was more cohesive and it tied together better. I found the aesthetic almost distracting at times, but I think one of the real incredible parts of this movie was the actual like cinematography. There were a lot of very long shots. The action was not jumpy, which I thought was really awesome. The fact that I could actually like sit there and follow the camera as it moved from room to room in like one shot without jumping all over the place and switching points of view and the camera wasn't shaky. And that and that's something we see often in James Bond is the camera's like running around and doing nonsense. And I thought that it was very beautifully shot, even if the aesthetic was very jarring for me personally. So I think overall, I really enjoyed watching this film. And I really liked Lorraine as a character, even though she was very cold and very staid and not really quite as engaging as some of the other characters that we saw on screen. Again, I was expecting that from her. I wasn't expecting any warmth. I wasn't expecting a lot of personality. I was just expecting this very sharp, straight shooting character. That's what I got and I was happy with that. I was actually kind of pleased that they didn't put a lot more depth into her because I think that that would have taken away from a lot of the jobs that she did and the action that she did. Overall, I think the action alone makes this film worth watching. And I think that a lot of the twists were weird and the plot lines were a little strange, but the action was great. The aesthetic was a, a choice. It was a decision <laughs> that they made. And yeah, I don't know. I liked it. I don't think I want to go see it again. Not in theaters at least, but yeah, I think overall I enjoyed it. I think I might get the soundtrack. The soundtrack was really good. Yeah, I, I think that, that my takeaway really was uh, was the soundtrack. The soundtrack and the cinematography were really, I think, very, very well done. Like, it was just a very well-made well film. Like, technically very well-made. I think that's it. I think that's a wrap. I think it's a wrap. I think it's a wrap. So, I know we said we were going to do Spider-Man 
our lives got away from us, but hopefully we'll be back with a very late Spider-Man Homecoming because we still have that outline written and it will not go to waste, damn it. So thank you very much for tuning in. Remember to rate and review. That's how we get new listeners. As always, reuse, recycle, reboot. We are retro. Also, thank you for bearing with me. My voice was super echoey during this episode. As you can see, it's not as echoey right now. I made a little mini sound booth for $8. Also, a quick note about the music in this episode. It is by Shauna Falana, a New York-based artist. She is great. This song is called Heaven's Day, and you can download it from the free music archive. Thanks, everyone.